If you have a Bible, go and grab it and open it to the book of Matthew. To the, go, to the book of Matthew, when, when we were preparing our messages, we didn't really see what passages we were going to preach on. Um, but by the providence of God, we've all chosen different passages. Um, so I'll be looking at Matthew's account of Jesus' birth, specifically looking at verses 18 to 25. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. If this is the first time you've used the Bible, the big numbers are chapter numbers and the little numbers are the verse numbers. So we'll be looking at the very beginning of Matthew, verse 18 to 25. And it says this, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. And he named him Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, this morning as we celebrate the birth of your son, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand your word and in it to find hope everlasting. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Talked a lot about Jesus' birth today. Um, here in this account of, of Matthew's kind of telling of Jesus' birth, we, we focus in into a particular character. Mary has visions where she hears from an angel explaining the virgin birth, but her husband doesn't receive that news. And uh, when, when we think about believing in Jesus, we see three particular things in this passage that I want to focus in on for us this morning. Number one, we see a pathetic pregnancy. Number two, we see a prophesied purpose. And number three, we see a promising hope. As we, as we think about this main idea of Christmas, this main message of Christmas, which isn't just being nice to other people, isn't just about celebrating with your loved ones and those close to you, but, but celebrating a true hope, a true faith in, in a person who has conquered death. Uh, let's go ahead and look at these three different parts of this story and see what we can learn from it this morning. Point number one, a pathetic pregnancy. Let's look at verse 18 again. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Here we see that Mary has a miraculous virgin conception. Even though she had never been with a man, she conceived a child by the Holy Spirit. But Joseph doesn't know that. For all he knows, Mary cheated on him and is now pregnant out of wedlock. And because he's righteous, he knows that he can't lie and pretend that it's his baby. Right? There's stigma, shame around having pregnancy outside of, of wedlock. But in Israel, it was more than just kind of social disappointment. 
Deuteronomy 22, sentences both the woman and the man that she cheats with to death. But Joseph doesn't want that for Mary. So in verse 19, it says that he didn't want to disgrace her. So he resolves to divorce her quietly. He, he, Joseph is a righteous man. He knows that he can't just pull a shotgun wedding. But at the same time, he recognizes the true consequences of adultery. And he's also compassionate towards Mary, the woman that he loves. We can understand why Joseph thought that Mary committed adultery. But despite Joseph's own righteousness, his solution doesn't actually fix the problem. Despite Joseph's best intentions, his love for, for his engaged fiance, the best that Joseph's own graciousness and compassion can do to save his beloved betrothed is to conceal her in a quiet divorce. That's the best that he can do. See, Joseph's inability to save Mary shows us our own inability to save us from our own sin. Just as Joseph couldn't solve his own problem by his own way, neither can we. See, sin is the stain that darkens every single day of our lives. And you could try to cover your sin with, with the fig leaves of your own kind of good works or appearance, and God will still be able to see you for exactly who you are. Trying to save yourself with your own good works is like trying to spray Febreze on a casket. The greater irony is that Joseph views as a, that this thing that Joseph views as a problem is actually going to be the very solution to that deep problem that Joseph is confronted with. Point number two, a prophesied purpose. Look at verse 20 there. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. After Joseph considered everything, after he considered every single possible scenario, decide what he should do, he decides to go to bed. And an angel comes to him in a dream and says, Son of David, don't be afraid. An angel comes to Joseph in a dream to quell his anxious fears. And the angel encourages Joseph to take Mary as his wife because the Holy Spirit had caused a supernatural conception. All this was prophesied centuries ago. The prophet Isaiah spoke of a day when a child would be born. He would be named Emmanuel, which meant God with us. All of this was happening to Joseph because God said that it would happen. God with us. That the infinite God would become a baby. The all-powerful would need his diaper changed. The self-sufficient needed milk. The all-knowing couldn't speak. J.I. Packer talks about this mystery this way. He says, quote, But in fact, the real difficulty, the supreme mystery with which the gospel confronts us, lies not in the crucifixion, not in the resurrection, but in the Christmas message of the incarnation. The really staggering Christian claim is that Jesus of Nazareth was God made man. 
that the second person of the Godhead became the second man, determining human destiny, the second representative head of the race, that he took humanity without loss of deity so that Jesus of Nazareth was as truly and fully divine as he was human. The stunning message of Christmas is that God took on flesh and dwelt among us, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity. But that wasn't the only name this child would have. The angel tells Joseph to name the child Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This name Jesus is the same name for Joshua. It means savior or deliverer, that Jesus would save people from their sins. That Jesus didn't come to the earth primarily to teach. He didn't come to the earth primarily to feed the poor. He didn't come to earth primarily to provide a new methodology for a fulfilled life or, or teach us to love all people. He came to earth to save you and I from our sins. Because God is a holy God. And he created the world out of the overflow of his joy and he created man to be a steward over it. But instead of obeying the Lord and living in perfect paradise, we decided to rebel against him and disobey him. And ever since, the world has been fractured and broken by sin. Generation after generation of humanity has been stained with that same shame, separated from God and deserving to die for our sins. But instead of dropping a a rope from heaven and, and teaching us to climb it, God instead came to us. God took on flesh and dwelt among us. You see, Jesus is not like us. He was born of a virgin, completely unstained by sin. He lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. And that perfect life wasn't just enough to accomplish the mission. He came with a purpose to die. Hebrews 2 says that Jesus was made perfect through his suffering. That on the cross he was beaten, scorned, and suffered for the punishment that you and I deserved. And he died. And on the third day, he rose from the dead, victorious over sin and death. That's the mission that Jesus was sent for, to save sinners. He goes from the cradle to the cross to save those who can never save themselves, that none of us can heal ourselves, cleanse ourselves, resolve to do better, purify ourselves from our sin. What we need isn't an inner resolve, isn't a fresh start. What we need is a virgin birth. We need a miracle to happen for us. It's not that Jesus just opens the door of salvation, but that he himself comes to save. See, whatever chasm you feel between you and God, the good news is that God comes to you. And you can go to him today. You could trust in him today, and in him you will find everlasting life and hope. Last point for us, a promising hope. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Joseph wakes up, and everything has changed. He marries her, but does not have sexual relations with Mary until she gives birth. He names the child Jesus, deliverer. Understanding the purpose of Jesus' birth gives Joseph the perspective that he needs in order to let go of his own plans and to trust in the Lord. It changes everything. 
And Jesus' birth changes our perspective too, but in closing, I'll just give you three things that Jesus' birth gives us. Number one, he gives us true forgiveness. True forgiveness. There is no list that Jesus checks to see if we're naughty or nice. If he did, he would never come. Christ simultaneously sees the depth of our sin for what truly is and comes to provide the grace that we truly need. Secondly, he gives us a true Christmas spirit, a real Christmas spirit. It's, it's not about generosity or being nice because of some kind of appeal to an inner goodness that humanity all has. Rather, when Christians practice generosity, when you give gifts to your loved ones tomorrow, when you gather around the fireplace and, and share kindness, love, joy, what you get to share isn't just joy amongst yourselves, but have an overflow of the love that you've received from your savior, because Christ made himself poor. Lastly, Christ's birth gives us real hope. Gives us real hope. For some of us, holidays are, are twinged, not with joy, but with pain. Because we feel the loss of those that we've loved, because we still struggle today in the darkness of our world. The good news of Christmas is that in the midst of our darkness, Light shone into our lives. Darkness is real. Cynicism is easy. But the Christmas message of Jesus reminds us that not only is light coming, but light came. And when we look to Jesus and see what he's done for us, we with a weary world can rejoice in him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this good news of Christmas. We pray, Lord, that as we celebrate your, your son's birth, that we would remember the grace that we've received through your son's death. Pray, Lord, that you help us to treasure this gospel until you come again. In Jesus' name, amen.